are, are we uh, are we totally happy? No, there's a long way to go. Uh, we're not celebrating, uh, but we do believe that this could be a turning point for us. Inter Miami avoided adding an embarrassing elimination to its 2023 woes, but only after needing two late equalizers and penalty kicks to survive a determined inferior opponent. Hello, everybody. Hola a todos. Welcome back to the second episode of Miami Total Football Radio this week. We promised we'd be back, and we are. To provide you with all the latest team news, analysis, opinions, oh yes, there will be opinions on this show, inside information, general punditry, and much, much more. My name is Franco Penizo. I am one of your usual co-hosts. We had another member of the three of us, or the trio, on the pod earlier in the weekend, Jose Armando. He has been subbed out for this episode because we need the heat. We need el ajicito or la ajicita, which, of course, I am talking about Andrea Yanes. Andrea, how are you today after a late, late and long Wednesday night, we were in the press box for a while, doing post-game interviews for a while. I know you live closer to FIU Stadium than I do, so maybe you didn't get home as late as, as I um, or as me, but how are you doing today? Are you tired? I'm tired. Yes, I'm tired, but I'm going to say one positive thing, maybe one of the few positive things that I have to say tonight, is that it was closer to my house, so... <laughs> Finally, I could enjoy not driving for an hour or more than an hour to get to the stadium. So it was nice. It was nice uh, to to get it right here, to get it in the real 305. Not to get anyone offended, but this is Miami. The game yesterday was in Miami. So happy, but tired. Happy for not having to drive all those miles, but not happy with that game. We'll talk about that. I'm ready. Yes, we will talk about that. We will dive into that in good detail, as well as, of course, preview the upcoming game against the Columbus Crew. Uh, you know, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. You know, I left yesterday by the time we wrapped up with the interviews with uh, with both team members. Uh, it was almost close to midnight. By the time I got home, it was one. I stopped at Wawa to get some food because I planned to rewatch the game immediately because the press box, uh, no offense to FIU, uh, or FIU Stadium or the Miami FC people, but the view there was terrible. It was terrible. And I, obviously, we had sat there last year, and I've been there to other, other games before, so this is not a new uh, thing for me, but just very hard to analyze the game. So uh, I got some food at Wawa late night and rewatched the game to better analyze what we saw live and in person from the tight press box in the, what corner is that? North, no, southeast? No, southwest. Dang. See, that's how tired I am. Southwest. Southwest. All right. Why do people always talk here with directions? I don't even know what north, south, east, west. <laughs> I, I, don't, I have no idea. And I bring this up because yesterday you asked me north, south, and I was like, what the hell? Okay, so, so clearly your internal compass does not work. So we will have to get you one for your birthday. All right. Andrea, we've got a lot to talk about on the second episode of Miami Total Football Radio. Let's get to it. All right, so Inter Miami survives 
the U.S. Open Cup third round Miami Clasico against Miami FC on penalty kicks, winning 5-3 from the spot following a 2-2 draw versus the Crosstown Foe. We talked, Jose and I, earlier in the week, and we thought that, you know, they would play a stronger lineup than they did. This was the starting group, and it was in a 5-2-2-1 formation. If you really want, you could say it was the WM formation, the old school WM formation that you don't really see that often, which means 3-2-2-3. So you can look at it any way you want. I'll go with the the 5-2-2-1. So... Drake Callender in goal. The back line from right to left was Robert Taylor, Christopher McVeigh, Ryan Saylor, Kamal Miller, Harvey Neville. The first line of the midfield, you had Dixon Arroyo and Gene Mota. Second line of the midfield, and they were not playing out wide, they were playing in the half spaces, kind of like joint tens, were Benjamin Kramashi and Nicolas Stefanelli. And up top, you had Schneider Borgelin. That was Inter Miami's starting group. Christian Sorto scored in the third minute for the home side. Schneider Borgelin tied things up near the end of regulation, almost at the death in the 89th minute to force extra time. Late in extra time, DeAndre Yedlin scores an own goal in the 116th minute, and it looked like that was it for Inter Miami. But an unlikely hero in Ryan Saylor donned the cape. And saved Inter Miami's blushes with another equalizer. 118th minute, that forced penalty kicks. Inter Miami goes perfect from the spot, making all five of their takes. Miami FC missed only one, which was their fourth attempt. And that proved to be the difference because Inter Miami advanced to the next round. And they already know their opponent, Charleston Battery, uh, on May 9th or 10th. That's who they were drawn against, and it'll be at home at Dry Pink Stadium. So, Andrea just went over the match in terms of the goals and the big events. We have to dive into the performance. We will do that here in just a few seconds, but just your overall thoughts one day after seeing it all take place right before your eyes. Inter Miami were lucky yesterday. Inter Miami were lucky. Uh, they continue to play badly. Um, not badly in terms of not being able to pass the ball and do all that. But in terms of getting the results, getting goals, playing consistent um, football. So they were lucky. For me, yesterday, they were lucky. Uh, when the DeAndre Yedlin own goal came at the six, 160 minutes, I told you, well, they deserve to lose. They deserve to lose because they were the bigger team, the big budget team, and what they presented yesterday was not on par of what it should be or what this team could be. So I think they were lucky, to tell you the truth. Uh, that is the conclusion that I get. They were very lucky. For me, this this win in penalties doesn't prove anything. Doesn't make them better. Doesn't for me like it doesn't. It simply doesn't. For me, it was a lucky, lucky, lucky game for them. I think you just used the word lucky more than you've ever used the word lucky all combined throughout the all Miami Total Football Radio appearances that you've made. Uh, listen, I 
I agree that they were a bit fortunate in this one. I'm using a different word. <laughs> I agree they were a bit fortunate to, to get away with this one in terms of the the performance levels they put forth. They were trailing for much of this game, despite being the better team. And they went down early. They gave up an early goal, a nightmare start for Inter-Miami on the tails of a six-game losing streak. As bad a start as you could have expected for Inter-Miami. And from that point, it was an uphill climb because Miami FC, como equipo chico, like a small team, like the smaller team, like the inferior team, threw numbers back. And they looked to hit on the counter and try to stay compact and organized. And Inter-Miami had the lion's share of possession. But it was possession, once again, without production. They could do almost nothing with the ball, except for the same tactic of getting wide and crossing it into the penalty area, which was Miami FC's game plan. We talked to Miami FC head coach Anthony Pulis uh, after the game, and he said that, yeah, they, they wanted to clog up the middle. And they did that, and Inter-Miami had a very tough time finding an answer and finding a solution. Very little through the middle, almost next to nothing, and it took uh, an 89th-minute goal from Borgelin, header at the back post on a cross, finally, that paid off, and, and they equalized. I will say the positives, because I, there's going to be a lot to criticize here. I think Inter-Miami, you know, they took their penalty kicks very well. We'll dive into that in more detail a little bit later. And they never gave up. They stayed with it. They could have rolled over. They could have thrown their arms up in the air and said, you know, especially during this this losing run, they could have just been like, all right, this is it's just not going to happen for us. We, we just, we're just not good enough. But they stuck with it. So it was gutsy in that way. But, that it took them penalty kicks to beat Miami FC. And the manner in which they got to penalty kicks was very unconvincing. And something that, if you're an Inter-Miami fan, has to leave you frustrated. Cool, great, they advanced. Awesome. But that does not mask the ongoing issues that exist with this team. Because yesterday's performance didn't inspire a whole lot of confidence. And we talked to Phil Neville post-game, Andre, and you can uh, agree with me or disagree with me. Phil Neville looked emotionally drained post-game. Like, exhausted. Exhausted. And I guess it was late, but he just looked so... Like, Anthony Pulis looked in better uh, state than Phil Neville. Phil Neville did not look like a head coach that had just advanced to the next round. He looked he looked a little beat up. He, he, he looked so exhausted to me. And I, am, I can imagine trailing for 90 minutes, uh, or for the better part of 90 minutes, thinking... This is really going to happen. This embarrassing elimination loss is going to happen. And then the team rescuing uh, those blushes, preventing that from happening. I'm sure, you know, it was an emotional roller coaster for him as it was for, you know, anybody watching it. But Inter-Miami, it's just not good enough. And the result should not mask that. No debe confundir a nadie. That result should not confuse anybody. And for the record... Because I've been I've seen it been said a few times. Yes, Inter Miami won the penalty kick shootout and they advanced because of that. But they did not win this game. Technically speaking, this will be registered officially as a draw because the game ended two to two. Now Inter Miami won on penalty kicks, they move on. That's that's good for Inter Miami. 
because you know they have they have to at least get through at least at a minimum they got through but they did not win this game so that means they are now seven games across all competitions without a victory that's a new franchise record that's not good enough that's not good enough and i don't see the positive signs that i saw against Houston Dynamo yes this was a weaker team but just tactically I don't see a team that has a lot of ideas. And they'll get better when they bring in their more quality players. But the level of the opposition is also going to get better because they return to MLS play. They're not going to be playing an inferior opponent like Miami FC, with all due respect to Miami FC. But even even Anthony Pulis acknowledged as much in the postgame. So there's a lot, a lot there to dissect, a lot there to discuss. Andrea, I know you said it was lucky. But in terms of the performance that Inter-Miami put forth, what were your thoughts? Predictable, stale, slow. What did you think about what they did on the field during the course of the 120 minutes before the penalty kicks? Not good enough. Simply not good enough. For me, Phil made a mistake in the lineup. He knew it. That is why he changed everything at the start of the second half because... He, he knew he messed up. That lineup was, for me, knowing that he came from losing six games in a row was unacceptable because this was a must-win game. And yes, you can say Inter-Miami, yes, they are in MLS, in USL, blah, blah, blah. But listen, for me, he didn't take the game seriously when I saw the lineup because... This this was not a game to improvise like he did. And it didn't work for him. It didn't work for him. That is why he, he made the changes in the start of the second half. And um, it was very disappointing to see that this team, even if they bring new blood like they did in this lineup, you had Harvey, you had McVeigh coming back to, to being a starter. You had Borgelin and... Uh, um, Benjamin, for me, Benjamin, they, who's Benjamin? Come on, come on, Andrea Cremachi. Okay. His name is Benjamin or not? I mean, I know, but you gotta, you, <laughs> for the people that don't speak Spanish and listen to the pod, you gotta say Benjamin or at least say the last no, name. No, his at name least, is Benjamin, uh, not Benjamin. <laughs> at least say the last name, Andrea. At least say the last name, but continue, please. So they were just not good enough. They were just not good enough, and the tactics were not good enough. We all know, and everyone knows, even Anthony said it in, in the post-match interview, that he, this was what he expected. Inter-Miami doesn't play another way. They just play through the wings and nothing else. Crosses from their left back or right back, crosses from their wingers, but they don't play anything through the middle so everyone knows every team knows what to do and what miami fc did was attack them in a counter-attack and from the second minute that they got that goal they got it because they took advantage of that in a mistake in a counter-attack they took advantage of that even in that play andrea they miami fc showed the type of creativity that inner miami very exactly. rarely shows exactly. because because yes uh, you know, the, the play starts with Miami FC winning a 50-50. It's a long ball played up top to, to the striker. The striker then 
He gets creative. He brings a ball. He tra- he traps the ball and then with a healed pass, mid air, flicks it back to an onrushing teammate, who then takes Christopher McVeigh one on one, creates enough separation, and then takes a shot, a low shot that Drake Callender has to do better on. You'd expect coming from U.S. Men's National Team camp that he should be full of confidence. And he makes a tremendous error. The ball goes through his hands and through his legs before going into the back of the net. It was a very routine and savable shot. Trey Callender makes that stop 99 out of 100 times. But in this one, just gets through through his hands. But that's But again, the error comes as a byproduct of the creativity that Miami FC had to get to that part of the field. To get to that opportunity. And Inter exactly. Miami doesn't have that. They don't have that. The strikers are only waiting in the area. And if they don't get a ball, they don't get a ball. They are not dangerous. And then here, that is why what I mean. They got lucky because in the second half, that's why you have a central defender scoring a goal in, in the last minutes of the match. Because then you have to bring numbers up top. You get exposed in the back if if they were playing against a team, especially if, and if uh, Miami FC could have gotten all their players, the ones that were injured and were not available because they had a short bench, only four players available, they would have made them pay. If Miami FC had all their players available, that I know them, they would have made them pay. Miami FC didn't have anyone on the bench that could come and play. They had rookies, someone that they signed this week. So if they had other players available, it would have been different because Inter Miami doesn't have any new ideas. They got better when once Yedlin and Negri came in, but then you saw the same type of game. Negri and Yedlin sending a lot of crosses without anyone getting anything. Then when Pizarro and Joseph came in, you saw the game at least a little bit, get a little bit better in the middle of the field because they were moving around. Joseph is a little bit more dangerous. So, and Pizarro tried to move the game around a little bit. But other than that, Inter Miami didn't show anything, anything until that Mota's... The shot. The, the, the shot that hit the crossbar. They didn't show anything through the middle. So it's a big problem because that is why I, I, I say again, they were lucky because... Even Miami FC, with all the players available, would have made them pay because of that. And the problem with Inter Miami is that you don't see, me personally, I don't see the team getting better in that aspect. Because I don't see, Phil is married to that idea that the team has to play through the wings and has to cross the ball. He has no other idea, or at least he hasn't shown it this season. So... For me, it is preoccupying because Inter Miami should should be better. They have quality <laughs> players that should be better, but then you see them playing in positions that are not their best, like Robert Taylor. What did you see from Robert Taylor in the first half? Not much. Nothing. Not much. Because he's he is playing in a position that uh, Stefanelli also. We were talking about this, so. That is why this team suffers. And for me, it boils down to the tactics. And for me, the one responsible for this is Phil and his um, technical support staff. So you just done a lot of interesting points. And I want to go back to the creativity. Because 
you know, it's just something they don't play through the middle. And I agree that you need to have some variety. Whether you have a, a 10 or not, you need to have some variety to help keep a defense guessing, to help try to unbalance the defense. Either that or you have to be so good at the one thing that you try to do that it doesn't matter if you're not good through the middle. But they're neither very good out wide and they also have nothing in the middle. Now, I don't think there's an abundance of creative players on this Inter-Miami side in terms of players that can unbalance the defense either with a through ball or one-on-one on the dribble. There's not an abundance of that. There's players with different qualities and different strengths, but no one that can really unlock a defense consistently. Robert Taylor has good dribbling skills. I think he's one player that could unlock a defense if he executes and has the opportunity to dribble by and do what he can do. And we've seen him do at different times. We saw it last year in moments. But we haven't seen that from him in the few appearances that he's made this year. So individually, I'm not blaming Robert Taylor. I'm just saying that the the one player that they do have that's creative, we're not seeing that from him. Is that tactical? Yes. I think it's partially tactical. Yeah, absolutely. He's playing as a wingback as well. So I think that's absolutely part of it. Does, Does he bear some responsibility? Absolutely. Sure. But it's also tactical. So... Individually, Inter-Miami lacks creativity. Collectively, they also lack creativity. And that is on Phil Neville. That is 100% on Phil Neville. Because he helped build this roster. He talked in preseason about how this is this is the group he wants. And yet, they're struggling in a big way. Seven games in a row across all competitions without a win. The results speak for themselves. And I'm, I'm looking for the number. 39 crosses. All you have to do is look at that stat and the shots on target from each team, and you can guess what kind of game this was. Only what, seven what, shots on target from Inter Miami. So, so what, what, seven. if you just look at those stats, what do those stats tell you? It tells you there's a team that had a lot of the ball and that crossed the ball a whole lot. But, but didn't could, do anything. couldn't do anything <laughs> exactly. with that. that. You don't even have to watch the game. You can look at just the numbers, and that numbers will just paint that picture for you. And then for me, then Phil comes out and says that they were clearly the better team. And I'm like, what? Where? So so what I think Phil's meaning by that is that they were the protagonist in terms of dictating the tempo with the ball. But Miami FC was okay with that. Miami, like Anthony Pula said, post-game was not going to go blow for blow, toe-to-toe, tu-a-tu with Inter-Miami. Because that would be practically tactical tactical suicide. Because you're not going to have the manpower nor the strength to go toe-for-toe with an MLS team that has players like Inter-Miami has. Yes, they're going through a bad run, but there are some quality players in that group. I'm convinced of that. I think they're underperforming. I think Phil Neville has a big part to do with that. And I tweeted that post-game. Uh, or during the game, actually. And, and, I'll, and I, I stick with it, regardless of the result. I think we have seen enough. I think we've seen enough. It's been almost three seasons. This is not the first time Inter-Miami has gone on this type of poor run of form. Atrocious run of form. But yet, Phil Neville remains as head coach. It's 
long been time for him to go. It's long been time, especially uh, this season for a few weeks now. Like the team continues to struggle. The team continues to have to climb from the bottom as opposed to be fighting in, in a better position. And it's been like that. It's been like that throughout the course of the franchise's history. But it's been like that for Phil Neville, who has had an extended period of time to work on this and try to get this right. And he's, yeah. not, he's not completely to blame. There are other parts here. The player's not producing. Rodolfo Pizarro's obviously not really a, a desired piece by by you know by my uh, sensation. And they're stuck with him because they couldn't yeah, get rid of him. Yeah, but you cannot say a player like Pizarro handicaps you because they, they, any if, team if, in MLS will want Pizarro. No, I don't know if any team any in coach, MLS. I don't know Any about coach, that. if you tell any team in, in MLS right now, they could get Pizarro. As a DP? Well, I don't think every team No, as a DP, no, obviously not. But he's not. a DP. But he is a DP for Inter which is why I'm saying it kind of it kind of hamstrings them a little bit. Or it handcuffs them, sorry. It handcuffs them. It had, for me, it handcuffs them because Phil doesn't like him. Doesn't like his style of play and doesn't know how to play him. That is the truth. That is the truth for me. And that happens with Robert Taylor. That happened with Bryce Duke. That happened with Ariel Lassiter. That happened with Julian Carranza and everyone who has left this team. And the, those players in this the, the years that this team has of existence and the players that have left since Phil came here, all of them are having great careers somewhere else. And it was because Phil didn't know. They didn't um, perform in Inter Miami because Phil didn't know how to use them. Yes, I know Joseph doesn't score. I know Pizarro is not the player, the designated player, or that hasn't had the numbers of the designated players that designated players do in this league. But it is because you have a coach that clearly doesn't like him, that doesn't play him in the position that he likes to play, that doesn't build the game the tactical formation to help them. Then you get a Stefanelli who is leaving the same thing. How many positions have we seen Stefanelli play in this season? If you ask a fan of Inter Miami, I ask <laughs> the fans, do you know which is the position of Stefanelli? They don't know. They well, I don't, don't think Phil Neville knows. I don't think Phil exactly. Neville knows. He hasn't that figured it out. That's what I mean. But, so and, I think it's unfair for the players to say, oh, they're not performing. I have told you this before, especially with Joseph. I think it's unfair for the players because they are not playing comfortably for me. And you can see that on the field because they are clearly, clearly uh, not doing good. And for me, that is something that when you lose that as a team, it's not something easy to, to find again and to build up. And for me, this... Um, Qualification, esta classificación, will not mask that. And it, should, it, it shouldn't mask any that. Better. It should exactly. not mask that. And, and, that's, and that's why yesterday I tweeted it towards the end of the game. Before the equalizer happened, I, I tweeted out to the, along the lines of, if this isn't what's going to force the owners into making a decision, and honestly, I don't think it would have been. I think if they lose that game last night, I think Phil Neville's still the head coach today. I told I told you if they lose they, this game they should fire Phil. They okay, but so I'm saying it was even, even if they would have lost, even if they yes. would have lost, I don't think you the think ownership group would have fired him. Do I think he should have gone? Absolutely, I think he should have gone probably after that FC Dallas game where mm -hmm. they lost where they lost at home. 
Mm-hmm. Now, if the ownership is going to stick by him and, and preach, you know, uh, family vibes and, and we support Phil Neville, okay, then what happens is not only on Phil Neville. We can't just blame Phil Neville anymore. Exactly. You yes. also have to look above, up At above the owner. him. And yes. who's calling the shots? Because, listen, I think if Chris Henderson had the power, I think Chris Henderson would really contemplate letting Phil Neville go. If he had the full power. But... There's, and there's, listen, there's, Chris different, there's different elements at play here. There's different dynamics. To blame. But, but there's different dynamics here. For like, me, Chris, Chris Anderson Anderson has not been up to par with what was expected from him, to tell you the truth. If, if, if I were the ownership of Inter Miami, for me, is that I agree with what Jose told you a couple of podcasts ago, that they don't care about this season. They want this season to be over. They don't care if they win anything, if they are in last place. There is no relegation, so they don't care. They want to be without the sanctions and be able to bring whoever they want from next year apart, so they don't care what happens. So that's why we see Phil still. We see still Chris Henderson in their post. And we're going to see them until, I guess, if the team loses 10 in a row, maybe they take some <laughs> steps but even then as you say but, for me but so, so that's my point because even let's, let's just say they lost last night and they suffered the embarrassing elimination at the hands of their inferior opponent the crosstown foe i still don't think phil Novo gets fired i still think he's head coach today preparing for the game against the columbus crew and that's where what is it going to take what is it going to take for ownership to finally realize that it's time to make the decision is it going to take Miami to lose 10 games in a row? Is it going to take them to go winless for another two months? Like, when is enough enough? And and that's a serious question I have because I don't know if they'll pull the, for the me, plug. For me, it, it was but long ago. We, we can say our opinions. The fans clearly are frustrated with Phil Neville. You know, you see the social media posts. It's clear that a large portion of the, or a good portion of the, of the fan base is unhappy with Phil Neville at this point in time. But Listen, Andrea, I, the question is, what do you think it would take for the ownership to make the decision to let Phil Neville go, to relieve him of his duties? What do you think it would take? I think it would take for them to care about the season, and I don't think they do. So Phil they don't care Phil about Neville, Phil Neville's here through the end of the year, according to you. I don't know if until the end of the year, it could be, listen, we have seen situations in this league where a coach is in the last place and he gets a five-year contract like Vermes in Sporting Kansas City, where he's the technical director, the GM and everything. We could see that with Phil, because in MLS, you don't get the pressure pressure of relegation. So yes, could be possible that they keep him this whole year. It could be clearly possible and for me it's a possibility because with this crisis that Inter Miami is living after they spend all preseason saying that they were building a good team and everything that has happened from that moment they until wanted to fight now, for a top four spot in the Eastern uh, exactly. Conference and everything that has happened from that moment until now tells you that was a lie because clearly if you wanted to win Franco you, you in Anywhere in the world, you lose six matches in a row and you're gone. That is a fact. Anywhere else in the almost anywhere else in the world, I agree. Almost anywhere else in the world, I would agree with you there. So, so 
for me, that tells you, and that's why I'm convinced, and now I, I agree with Jose, that ownership doesn't care about this season. And all those promises from the beginning that we're going to win top four, blah, 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 were just words because we haven't seen any action. And then we've seen uh, trades, we've seen uh, the movements that the team is doing, and you're like, okay, so how is this getting the team better? I mean, I, st I still think the problems that they had before Wednesday still exist. Exactly. Nothing has changed. Exactly. All they did, they advanced on penalty kicks, scraping by, suffering, as as suffering. Phil, as Phil Neville said uh, in in the day after availability on Listen, Thursday morning. Sufrieron, Andrea, sufrieron. Exactly. Miami FC. Hey, mira, look, 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 look. Let's, and let's, Miami let's... FC was missing their exactly. most so, important player. So, who so is I want I want to dive into that, but let's let's be fair to. Phil Neville and Inter Miami because upsets happen in tournament games and cup games, right? Yeah, they happen. Mm -hmm. But the manner in which this happened, and they, they advanced, but the manner in which this happened leaves a lot to discuss, a lot to analyze, a lot to unpack, a lot to unravel. Clearly, Inter Miami did not view view this game as, and Phil Neville didn't view this game as my job's on the line. That's my that's my sentiment. That's my sensation. My supposition. I don't the, the lineup he put out there, saving Campana, saving Coco Jean, saving Sergi Christoph, first choice players for him, shows that yes, of course he's not trying to risk their health because he's thinking longer term. The MLS regular season. If he's thinking that, then he doesn't feel going into Wednesday night that his job is on the line. He might feel pressure. He might feel. Uh, frustration because it's not coming off for him and and you know again Inter Miami fans on social media you look at Inter Miami's social media posts on a on a game day as of late and you see calls for Phil Neville's head over and over and over again so I I believe that he does feel frustration and some pressure but I don't feel he fears for his job like I don't think he's worried that he's going to get fired and I could I could see that being through true because. I, I thought that he could feel a pressure and could have that fear if he lost this game. But after what they, what he chose to start in this game and the tactics that we saw from the team on that first half, I thought like, well, no, he is not nervous that he's going to get fired because when, when Franco, when you see a team that is in, in esa racha, in, 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 in that moment that they're leaving, you see that urgency. Tell me, did you see urgency yesterday from Phil and from the team in that first half? No, I did not. You didn't, right? I didn't. I didn't. And look, and look Andrea, you, sat, you and I sat next to each other in the press box, and I'll reiterate some of the things that I said to you yesterday for the listeners. The lineup to me, the attitude of the team. Phil Neville's attire. You can even say Phil Neville's attire. And some people might think that that's ludicrous and overanalyzing it. But I don't think so. The whole thing to me said Inter-Miami didn't take this game as seriously as they would an MLS regular season game. Phil Neville wears suits. As of late, he's been wearing nothing but suits. Unless it's somewhere cold. Then he's wearing like cold gear. It wasn't cold last night in South Florida. And he was just wearing warm-up pants and a polo. Why is it that he wears suits for MLS games and casual gear for the Open Cup game? Why? 
because it's it's on national TV, because it's an MLS regular season game. Like that to me is just a sign of him saying this game is not as important as the production that is an MLS regular season game. And then I think you saw it with the tactics. I think you saw it with the form- with the with the with the starting lineup. And I think you saw yeah, it. Yeah, they didn't have the, an urgency. With- they didn't. Only player I see, I saw, I saw, yes, I saw playing with a little bit of urgency is Mota. And I guess that is because that is his personality. But then I didn't see anything, anything. I didn't see any. And when Sorto scored that goal at the second minute, I didn't see any urgency from any of the players. That was really preoccupying because... I reiterate at the beginning of the season, they were saying we're going to win the US Open Cup. We want to go to CONCACAF Champions League. We're going to win the League's Cup. We're going to go to CONCACAF Champions League. Is this the way that this team is going to play against Cruz Azul? I don't, I, by the way, I don't think preoccupying translates to English the way you're trying to make it preocupante. I get what you're trying to say. I think you, you, the word you're looking for is worrying, concerning. I think, I think yeah. that's what you're looking for, just because just you've done it twice. Uh, but look, look. Just diving into Phil a little bit more. I do think he feels some frustration. Again, he looked emotionally drained after the game. During the broadcast, you see it. They got close in on him. Uh, They zoomed in on him during the goal celebration to the first equalizer. Borgelin's header at the back post uh, off of a Gene Mota cross. He throws a furious fist into the air in celebration. Kind of like a defiant, like, yeah. But he has to have felt it. He has to have felt it. And again, I'm not saying he felt his job was on the line. I just felt, you know, the, the ongoing criticism that would have come had they lost. And that's why I'm, I'm keeping, I'm trying to keep the same tone. But just generally speaking, from a public perception, if they had gotten eliminated, how much worse it would be. Yeah, and it would it would have made national headlines. It would have made international headlines. It would have gone in England. You would have seen David Beckham's Inter Miami team loses to third division club. Like that would have made. And especially let's remember that Anthony was his assistant his first season here, so it would have been double. And you could Anthony had the tension. You could feel the tension in the press box. Listen, we had Miami FC's uh, PR staff in front of us, uh, directly in front of us. And then over diagonally from us, you had Inter Miami's PR staff, and there were some very big eyeballs that I saw when it, when Inter Miami got scored on in that third minute. I saw like, uh oh, I saw some actual worry, and that, that's just from the press box. Now imagine on the field. Look, there's an anecdote, uh, an image that the broadcast did not catch that I saw when the game ended, and I think it's telling. If you analyze it, I think it's telling. So Kamal Miller steps up, he scores. Inner Miami's bench, which was closer to, to the goal where the penalty kicks were, take, were taking place, erupts into a scene of festivities. You know, they're, they're celebrating, they're happy. A very calm and quiet film level immediately turns to walk towards the midfield line to go shake Anthony Pulis's hand and say good game. His son, Harvey Neville, Rather than immediately going and erupting and going to celebrate with teammates, he seeks out his dad. He looks for Phil. And he goes and he hugs him and gives him a warm embrace. And then Harvey lets go and he goes and celebrates with the rest of the team while Phil keeps walking towards Anthony Pulis. 
that to me is a sign of we did it, Dad. We did it. We we're through. Don't worry. We made it. Like because he they have. I can't imagine that Harvey Neville is oblivious to the fact that Inter Miami fans are unhappy with Phil Neville. And look, and even in in the dressing room, it's not, it it must be awkward for him. But it, it, like even the even in the game, cameras and the broadcast caught this very clearly. La Familia, when the game was looking like Inter Miami was going to lose 1-0, La Familia belted out a very loud, profane chant in Spanish. And if you want to see it, I've tweeted it on my Twitter account, at Franco Panizo. It's not uncensored. I've done it in English and in Spanish. You can see it there. But clearly Inter Miami fans are not pleased. And this is not going to get better unless the team starts winning consistently. I don't see signs that point to Inter-Miami winning consistently. The games that they have in May, the schedule is very, very difficult. Yeah, listen, we have to talk about that because the schedule that they have is looking bleak, bleak for them. We're going to talk about that, but they have Columbus, they have New England Revolution. It's not not a favorable schedule for Inter-Miami. And, for example... Atlanta United, Atlanta Orlando United. City, Nash- Nashville, the New England Revolution. That it's not, it's not a. And listen, it's not you a favorable see schedule. teams in this league, for example, now that we mentioned New England Revolution, that didn't have a good year last year. They kept the same coach, they brought some new players, and now they're having a good season. You don't see that with Inter Miami. And the common, why do fans get mad? Because the common denominator is Phil, because. This year, they've brought a lot of players. They, Along with Henderson, they've built this squad how they wanted it, with players that they wanted, that no one, apart from Pizarro, no one, nadie los obligó. No one forced them to bring. And it hasn't worked. And that is a difference. That, that, that is an example of why fans are mad. New England last year was bad. This year, look at them. With the same coach. You see the work, you see the difference, you see a better team. We don't see that with Inter Miami, unfortunately. And this year, they don't have Gonzalo Higuain. So no one, until this moment, is coming to save them. Right, so collectively, and just to go into the game again a little bit more, they don't have a difference maker. And they, I, I said that at the beginning of the season. I saw some interesting pieces added, like Franco Negri. I still think Nicola Stefanelli will prove to be a good player eventually for this team. But they don't have a difference maker. Someone that can take this team, put it on his back, and push the team over the finish line to a victory. They don't have that. So it's on the collective. It's on el funcionamiento. The function of the team to work well and win games. And it's not working. Tactically, Phil Neville is still all over the place. Still hasn't figured out what the best formation is, what the best tactics are. Like He still hasn't figured it out. The same problem since he's... He has come here. It's the same problem. So, listen, I understand the fans getting mad at Phil. I really like Phil as a person. But as I've said here a a lot of times, for me, a deal breaker is the fact that players leave this team because supposedly they are not working. They are not giving what they need to give. The perfect example is Bryce Duke and that 
those horrible comments. I don't know if that, he's the perfect example. Yes, because Field made those horrible comments that he would never be a 10, that he was not quality. And look how I don't he, disagree with that. Though. Look how he has played in Montreal. Look at him. People in Montreal are happy with him because he has the potential. And for me, when Phil said that about a player in his team, about one of the future that the team had before they traded him, players of the team told you everything you need to know. So for me, it's not, unfortunately, it's not working. And even though I like Phil, I like him as a person, it is not working for him in MLS and for him in Inter-Miami. Now, philosophically, philosophically going to the Wednesday night game against Miami FC, the Miami Classico, even the starting formation, just from a philosophical standpoint, and this is just now my opinion, not an not, not analysis, which is also can be an opinion, but this is just more my... like To me, playing with a five-man backline with three center backs is like... What? Not really going. Not really. Not, it's not. It's not really going for it. It's not really going for it. You're playing with three center backs, to you're sure have some have some defensive solidity. But again, then then you're emphasizing the defensive part as opposed to the attacking part, right? Like, mm-hmm. and look, and Harvey Neville. I don't think he had a bad game, but he's he was playing left wing back, and he's not left footed. Yeah. And on multiple occasions, you saw that he was not able to whip in across with his left, that he wasn't comfortable enough to do so, that he would try to cut back on his right, look for the pass. So these are these are things that I think Phil Noble has in his just DNA as a head coach up until now, playing players out of position or in the positions that aren't uh, I understand, their, their best. I understand the idea that some coaches have in this modern football that players should play at least two positions to help the team. But clearly, it is not working in Inter Miami. And it has not been working. And I don't think it's going to work until you play Stefanelli, Robert Taylor, Rodolfo Pizarro, and anyone. Any of those that we have talked about ad nauseum in this podcast, if you don't play them in their position, it's not going to work. I don't want to pick on Harvey here, but Harvey, like I just saw him time and time and time again look uncomfortable trying to do anything with his left. Listen, the comments in, in even so in the broadcast... Back. He had to cut back on his right constantly. Everyone constantly. Was and, saying, that, and that slowed the Phil, whole attack. Even to his son, everyone was saying, even to his son, Phil plays him out of position. So, it's clearly not working for Inter Miami and it, that is why I don't like... It happened last year with McVeigh. I didn't like to criticize him because it was not his position when he made a mistake. It was not his position. It's really hard, and I, I, and you're right. It was hard for ne- uh, for Harvey. It was really hard for Harvey. It was really hard for. It's, it's, why, it's why he gets pulled out. It's exactly. why he gets pulled out of the game after 60 minutes or so, whenever he was subbed out, because he wasn't making enough of an impact. I don't think he had a bad game. I think he was involved. He 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 got forward well. He was on the ball often, but he couldn't make much happen with it because he's not left-footed and he did not feel comfortable whipping across on his left. So he constantly cut back on his right. That slowed down the attack. That allowed the defense, Miami FC defense, to reset. And it just it just took away from the attack. Now, something you touched on, and I haven't really like dived into it too much, which I do think is something that needs to be talked about. Miami FC had a short bench. They had injured players. Now, that's not Inter-Miami's... Problem, nor, nor is it their concern. 
But Miami FC, as the game wore on, and yes, they were defending as part of their strategic approach, they got gassed. Opportunity. And you mm-hmm. saw the cramps come in for multiple players, and they just they were fatigued. They didn't have the deep bench that Inter-Miami went to. Inter-Miami made five substitutions, as is allowed in regulation. In extra time, you're allowed to make one more, as per a recent new rule. So Inter-Miami made six changes. They had a much fresher team than Miami FC during that extra those extra 30 minutes. And they still could not take the lead. Mm-hmm. They fell behind off of a... Listen, DeAndre Yedlin tries to cut off a, a through ball played in behind. He does so very poorly. Miscommunication between he and Trey Callender. The ball goes into the back of the net. It looked doom and gloom in that moment. Mm-hmm. It looked like Miami FC had it in yeah. the bag. I thought I thought it was over. Yeah. I didn't see Inter-Miami coming back. Yeah. Now they do. You know, Ryan Saylor got played up top as a striker in part because he was cramping. And two minutes later, he gets a great header for his first career goal. A very timely uh, moment to come up with your first career goal. And he heads very well at the back post off of a cross from Franco Negri. An exquisite cross from Franco Negri. But that's what it took for Inter Miami to avoid an embarrassing defeat and an embarrassing elimination. And yeah. I like the word you use. This is a. I think this is crisis for Inter Miami. You think you might think that's exaggeration. The team is in a bad way, and they don't show signs of getting out. Now, Phil Neville said after the game, he hopes this is a turning point and it can galvanize the group and and rally them and push them on to bigger and better things. And hopefully, for Inter Miami's sake, that is the case. But based on what we're seeing on the field, I'm not convinced. I'm now, not they convinced. Will, they will get Leo Campana for this weekend's game against Columbus Crew. They'll have Hersey Christoph. They'll have Quarantine uh, Jean, they'll have you know some of the the guys that came off the bench. Um, they'll be relatively fresh because they don't they don't ha- uh, they didn't start and play the 120 minutes. So you know that that will help their cause, but still, you know the the, the level of opposition will also increase. So let let's talk quickly, unless you have something else to add uh, about you know again. I thought it was a gutsy win. They stayed with it, never gave up, never rolled over. Um, always kept believing, which is definitely a good sign. Something else that I say, I will say that they did well with was the penalty kicks. The penalty. They scored all five of them. The and takers, they were, right? Yes. Because Drake didn't do good. But the well, takers, yeah, Drake, did, Drake didn't make a save, but the takers, the were takers did well. Good. And they surprised me because... <laughs> Victor Ulloa surprised Victor me. Victor Ulloa, Kamal Miller, like, listen, uh, Franco Negri. Usually, I, thought, I, t- I did tell you, I did tell you in the press box, I thought Kamal Miller would take one, right? When we yeah. were doing, I, I, yeah. I challenged you to the little exercise, and I was like, penalty kicks are looming, Andrea. Give me your five. It doesn't go out based on the players that are on the field. You don't have to give me them in order. And and I told you Kamal, and you were like, no, no way I would let a center back. Uh, yeah. I, think you, I think your exact words in Spanish yeah. were, I would never let a center back take a penalty kick. Yes, I don't like center backs <laughs> taking penalty kicks. Hey, he, like, won, it, bro. he unless, won it. Unless you're Sergio Ramos, right? But, Sergio Ramos. <laughs> but I don't like central defenders taking penalties. I'm just like that conservative. But it, it, he really surprised me. He took a good penalty. Uh, also, Franco Negri. But listen, I've talked about this, and since he came here, we've talked about it. That left foot that Franco Negri has, very good. It's very educated. It's azurda educada, as we say in Spanish. So it didn't surprise me that he did a good penalty. And Mota, well, of course, Mota has, if well, I guess it would be uh, for me uh, difficult to decide who is better to kick the ball if Mota or Pizarro. But 
he's one of the best in the team. So I was sure he was going to score. And Joseph scored also. It, for me, it wasn't it wasn't so, a so, so let's go in order. Let's go in order really quickly. Joseph yeah. Martinez scored low and to the left. Then Victor Uyoa came up and he scores mid range to the left. A very well taken effort. I did not expect Victor yeah. Uyoa to, to kick the penalty kick like that. And his and a celebration afterwards. You know, he he threw a, a fist in in the air, but it was pretty pretty calm. Um, so not not really shaken or, or bothered by the moment. Uh, then Franco Negri came up with a longer run up. I was worried when I saw that run up. I was like, uh oh. But he tucked it in nicely away to the bottom right. Gene Mota went fourth, and he provided the scariest moment because he shoots uh, mid range to the right. The goalkeeper gets a hand on it, almost makes the save, but the ball is hit too hard. So it goes into the net. I think if the goalkeeper had put a firmer hand and push it upwards, I think he makes the save. No, he, just it, tried to, he just tried to block it and parry it. Yeah, instead the of, problem instead with of direct that it, ball it goes in. is, is, is the, the, the potencia that Mota hit it with. That was the problem. That is, that is why the goalkeeper couldn't, couldn't, couldn't save it. He was close, yeah. but he, it, it was too, too, too hard kick. I don't know how to say it in English. <laughs> I still, I still think if if he if he tries to push it up instead of trying to just stop it, I think I think he could make the save. I think he can make the save. Now Kamal Miller, the fifth and final taker after a, a bad miss uh, from Telfar, I think it was. Yeah. Bad miss from Miami FC it goes over the crossbar, so Drake Callender didn't even make the save. Kamal Miller comes up with that left foot and hits it to the right. And it goes into the back of the net as the goalkeeper guesses the wrong way. And that's it. Inter Miami wins. They did very well on their penalty kicks. Uh, you know, you, you can't criticize them for that at all. You know, if there's, there's one thing you can't criticize, it's how they took their penalty kicks. Cool, composed, clinical, put all five away. Yeah. Put all five away. And, and that and was that, a positive. That's, that's a highlight. Mm-hmm. That's a highlight. That was a now, positive. If, if we had to go just to, to put a bow on this here, if you had to give me. I won't. I won't give you a number. Just give me some players from Inter Miami that you thought played well. I have a few names. I think I have five or six that I thought played well. Not amazing, but well. Starters are off the bench. Do you have names, or do you want me to go first and then you? Can... Okay, I will tell you. <laughs> I will tell you that I like Mota. Mm-hmm. I like Kamal Miller. Agree. And uh, maybe I could say I like. A little shaky Dixon Arroy. So I would say Kamal Miller and uh, Franco Negri were good for me. Oh, well, like, yeah, I, Franco Negri, sure. Well, he came in, I yeah. Liked, mm-hmm. I thought Borgelin was a handful up top. I thought he was he was solid. Uh, I like Pizarro off the bench. Yeah, I Pizarro really liked... and Negri were, for me, difference makers for this. Uh, see, so, so I, I can't say that they played bad, but you, again, have taken into context that Miami FC was on empty. Right, and they just then they didn't have mm-hmm. the options on the bench to go to to try to reinvigorate and freshen the team up. So I think you know against an exhausted opponent, it helps you to look well. So I can't criticize them for it, but mm-hmm. I think that that analysis is still part of the equation. I think Gene Mota had a good game uh, or a solid game. Yeah, solid. And, and and then Ryan Saylor. I think you can't you can't get away from this game and not not because not because because of the goal. But he also had some nice interventions, including one uh, nicely timed slide tackle that prevented a through ball in behind that could have been very, very troublesome for Inter Miami. So I think those six were right. I named six, I think. Yeah, Miller, you named six. Miller, Miller, Sailor, Negri, 
Mota. Pizarro. Pizarro and Borgelin. Yeah, I think those six, those six, you know, came up uh, good enough. Well, at nights. least we, uh, estamos de acuerdo with two, with Mota <laughs> and Kamal Miller. And I also agree with uh, the subs, Negri and Pizarro. No, you don't give Sailor. I thought Sailor. I thought Sailor had a, had a solid game. I, uh, a solid game. I don't know. He was the, listen. The goal is not on him. The goal is more on Christopher McVay and Drake yeah, in the first goal. Yeah, yeah, but and then the second goal is just. I like what I like from DeAndre Sailor and, and is his, his efforts because even though he hasn't played this season, he he put it a lot of efforts. He was one of the players that you see he he wants that opportunity. And celebrated like you would expect a young center back to celebrate. Not very euphorically, just kind of. Uh, a nice man, yeah. A bit muted in his <laughs> celebration. I mean, it's a massive goal. Yeah, it's a I, massive goal. I, I, I mean, I, yo, I, I, yo te apuesto, if Kamal scores that goal, he would have celebrated more. Somebody's taking their shirt off and running around the field. Yeah. You know? like, like, it was a very. Imagine muted if Joseph, if Joseph oh. scored that goal, man, we, we, we would have saw a Goku celebration, a Dragon Ball celebration, something like that. Something crazy. Because. Wow, the moment, in that moment, everyone thought, everyone thought, and it was a heartbreaking moment for Miami FC because I really thought, and everyone thought that it was over after that yelling goal, after that yelling mistake. And listen, we have to talk about uh, that a little bit more. Um, yelling has been, um, since he came to MLS, it's, it, it has been, let me put it like this, Up it has down. been, up and down, and it has been true. What happens to every player that comes from Europe, especially American players that come from Europe and come to play in MLS, I think they get comfortable. They get comfortable, and we've been seeing that from, from Yellin. For me, he he should have known better, and he should have kicked the ball. Or... I think, I think he, like, el busca cortarla. Like, he comes to, to, yeah. to, uh, to cut off the pass, but he does so awkwardly, so, uh-huh. and, and he hits it with his less favored less left foot yeah that that is and, and that i think that was i think he was a little clumsy mm-hmm. there did not necessarily time it or did not uh did not get the right movement there and then that leads to him knocking the ball to the back of the net when i saw that ball rolling into the back of the net and it was clear it was going in no one's getting to it like i i, I could like the, just you could hear like that what split second of radio silence and how it was going to evolve into Miami FC celebrating and Inter Miami just un like just can't believe what's happening. But they they listen. They stuck with it. They got the goal. They got it done in penalty kicks. So they're on to the next round again. Charleston Battery at home at Drive Pink Stadium, May 9th or tenth. That is still to be confirmed. And then very quickly, very quickly because we've talked about this game uh, a good bit, probably as much as we've talked about any one game this year. Columbus Crew, Inter Miami travels for the final. Game in this three match and eight day stretch away to lower.com field. Hopefully, they won't have any travel issues because apparently, on their way to down to FIU Stadium on Wednesday night, the <laughs> bus broke down and the team had to carpool and they took like 15 cars, and that's how they got to the game on Wednesday night. But they'll fly to Columbus. Andrea, you expect a stronger lineup. Yeah, what, I, I, what 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 is the key to the game for Inter Miami? Defend well, defend better than they did against Houston. Defend the ninety minutes well, because if not, teams already know how Miami plays and they're gonna wait like Houston did. 
they're gonna score on them. One in the last minutes of the game, at Houston, as Houston did. So Inter Miami has to be concentrated on defense. They have to be concentrated on defending the 90 minutes, especially as a team like Columbus. Just to get something. Just to get something. Game. Yes, you so, have to. This is a game that is no perdas. Don't lose. They have to defend well 90 minutes. And if they can get a goal in the counterattack, in whatever play, in a set piece or whatever, they get it. But for me, the priority in this game has to be defend, especially with a team as Columbus that is better than, than the Houston Dynamo. And it's better than Dallas and a lot of the, the the opponents that they have lost against in this in this um, racha that they have. And I don't necessarily disagree disagree fully that the defense has to play better and more concentrated for a longer stretch. But I don't put it on the defense. They've given up nine goals in eight matches. That's not a terrible return or a terrible performance from the defensive side of things. It's in the attack where they're struggling. They have scored six times in eight games. That's less than a goal per game in MLS play. The attack has to find something. Campana will be in. Coco John probably will be back in. Pizarro could could start. Joseph could potentially start if they want to go with both strikers up top. Although Phil Neville said that, you know, Schneider Borgelin's pushing for 90 minutes. I don't think for two strikers, to tell you the truth. Well, that, so, regardless. He played against Houston with one. Regardless. For me, the key to the game is Inter-Miami finding its way in the attack. Putting that ball in the back of the net. I know that's that's such an umbrella term, but I think it's being clinical. Whatever chances you get, you have to put it away. It doesn't do Inter-Miami any good which I don't think that'll be the case here, if they have the ball, possession without production, and they can't put that ball in the back of the net. And then we'll hear Phil Neville say, oh, you know, we were the team that deserved to win because we had the ball and we were uh, dictating the tempo. Yeah, th- th- you can have the ball you want. If you don't do anything with it, yeah, then, look then at you don't deserve Madrid to win. With Tati Castellanos. Only four times he got to uh, uh, Real Madrid's uh, goal, and he scored four times. Then Real Madrid dominated the game. Doesn't mean if you have a hundred percent possession and you can lose the game because the game is about scoring, not about having the ball. Hey, I do like a team though. I've said this before. I do like a team that has possession, but you have to turn that possession into into mm-hmm. production, possession with a purpose. That I need we need to see from Inter Miami some more clinical finishing in the final third. That's the key to the game for me. If you have three chances, you gotta put at least one away. Give yourself a chance to get something out of this game. Andrea, quickly, and we'll wrap up with this. Just give me a formation. Don't have to give me the personnel because, you know, it's going to be a pretty much first-choice lineup. Um, but give me just the formation. If you think defense, do you think they stick with the back five or the back three, however you want to look at it? Yeah, I think they, they will stick with that. I think they will stick with that. With different personnel, as we said, but I think they are sticking with that with this game against Columbus. I can see that. I will say... 4-4-2 diamond. I think Joseph Martinez and, and Leo Campana. Against Colombo? I think so. I think so. Maybe Borgelin. Maybe Borgelin gets the start, but, you know. 
But I don't know if he can play good with Campana. See, now, now I've made it complicated for myself. <laughs> uh, 4-4-2 Diamond. Joseph gets to start. Let's okay. see. Let's see. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back for a very quick Q&A session and our final thoughts. We'll do that after this. time andrea we'll just tackle one and it's a question from a long time listener and he's asking something that we've already addressed but we can go into a little more detail here just just to add anything that we might have left off una chance más para decir lo que piensas matthew hanau how much longer do you think phil's leash got with the most recent win and win is in quotation marks for matthew hanau andrea your thoughts, because we've talked about it. You think he's going to be here for the season, or for much of the season. So, is that, I mean, I guess that's your answer, right? Okay, yeah. My personal opinion is that his leash should have gotten, gotten shorter, even with the result <laughs> yesterday. That is my personal opinion. But analyzing stuff, as we said before in this podcast, I think that ownership doesn't care this season. And they may keep him until the end of the year. If he gets a result, if he gets a couple of wins, I don't know with this calendar that they have. It could be. It could be. But analyzing everything, uh, I, I I agree with you, Franco, that, that the ownership doesn't plan to let him go. And that is because, I agree with Jose, that they don't care about this season, what happens this season. So I think they give him until... Early fall. And that's almost when the season's over. But I think that's when they give it to him. Like, so much of the season, but not all of the season if things aren't going well. I think they're going to give him the summer transfer window. Whether it's Messi and Busquets or whoever else comes. They're going to upgrade the team. right? Let's say Messi doesn't come. right? Let's say that doesn't happen. They're going to bring somebody else in to upgrade this team. Whether it's a 10 or whatever. They're going to do something to upgrade this team. So I think they'll give him the opportunity to try to make that work. Now, obviously, that player will have to get integrated into the group, but just to life in MLS, if he's an extranjero, a player, a foreigner. But I think then at that point, if he can't get it done by, you know, early fall, then I think when when playoffs are, you know, the picture's taking shape, I think that that's when they could pull the plug if Inter Miami's not looking like it's going to make it or they're out of it all altogether. So uh, I, he's got a long leash. He's got a long leash. Undeservingly or not, I think he's got a long leash. All right, so let's leave it there, Andrea. Final thoughts. I'll go first here on this one. And it's because Inter-Miami, after the last podcast that we did, made a trade. They sent Amey Mabika, the 24-year-old center back, to Toronto FC in exchange for $100,000 in 2024 general allocation money. There's another $100,000 in GAM, as it's also known based on performance performance metrics. So if Mabika hits certain metrics or certain milestones or certain uh, statistics, then Inter-Miami will get up to another 100,000. So 
another Inter Miami player that's gone that has left the team. Uh, sh- pretty short lived tenure overall. Thought he had his moments, but I you know I think there were some limitations, some real limitations. That video that Jose posted on his Twitter a month or so ago of him doing you know headed drills, uh, kind of like without without someone kicking the ball to him, without just like underhand throws. I mean. I think that that shows that there's some very big limitations there for him. A good locker room guy, by all accounts. Uh, someone that you know had come on here in Miami Total Football Radio and, and um, been an outstanding guest. But I think there were limitations, and I, I understand why Inter Miami would part ways with him. He he wasn't poised to get very many minutes, especially now that Kamal Miller is within the group. Now, I do think it's interesting because. You know, it's I saw I saw this comment on I think social media. Someone was like, "All the players change, but the head coach doesn't." I thought, yeah. and I thought that was, you know, it's it's not it's not an unfair comment. Ya me aburrido. I get. How do you translate that? I've been getting bored of saying the same thing over and over again. Everyone that leaves goes and la rompe everywhere they go. I don't know about everyone, but a, a, a good percentage. A good percentage. Of- the ones that are marginalized here, like, uh, let's start with Louis Morgan, go, leave, and their career explodes. Julian Carranza explodes. Bryce Duke is going to explode. Well, I don't know you have a crystal ball play. to say to say Bryce Duke is going to explode. So He's but- a good player. He, we'll he- see. We'll see. We don't know that yet. You'll but your point, your point, three games. Your point is not in, your point is not incorrect though. That there's plenty of players that have left. And Mavica maybe with a new coach. Listen, but uh, I don't see. Him, I see him, I see him just being a, a depth piece in MLS. I don't, yeah. I don't see him being yeah. a starter. I think again, there's I think there's real limitations there. Um, that maybe with a new coach he can he he can start something new. Listen, I don't think not only Phil, but I don't think his coaching staff Jason. Um, and all the coaching staff. Well, this year they added Darren and and Javier Morales. Javi, uh, I trust a little bit more, but I don't think they do as a good job developing players. I have said that a thousand times here, but hopefully that gets better. Listen, for the team, it has to get better. It has to get better. Okay. All right. Uh, Andrea, your final thought. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast. Um, we don't answer all the questions, but I wanted to say thank you to Don Cafecito, who always sends his question to those no, those no, <laughs> sorry if I'm butchering your names, Joseph E. Also, Matthew, that we answered his question today. And everyone that uh, writes um, to us on Twitter, we really appreciate it. And we hope that you continue giving your opinions and asking us your questions. So then that does it for a fiery, critical episode i guess that's 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 pretty much most episodes no um but that does it for the second episode of miami total football radio this week thank you guys so very much for listening yet again we will be back next week to rewind recap and analyze the match against the columbus crew we'll see if inter miami can stop the bleeding or if the poor run of form continues under phil level for another match day. So for Andrea Yanis, I am Franco Peniso. You have been listening to Mi Habito Tal Futuro Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again next week.